Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach. Nathan Grubel, unfortunately, not with us on this episode. But as always, we've got Stephen Gillespie here with us. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? Maxwell, I'm doing awesome. Uh, it's WrestleMania weekend, and mm-hmm. I know that you and I are big wrestleheads, so I'm yeah. excited about that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, we get to talk draft, so it's a it's been a fun weekend, brother. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. So how are, are you doing? doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. So we're because of scheduling conflicts, we are recording this one a few days early. So there may be some changes. You may be talking about guys. They may go into the draft. They may pull out of the draft uh, by the time that this episode comes out. So bear this in mind. We are recording this Friday evening, um, but we are going to talk about one of my favorite things because I feel like this is a conversation that comes up a lot like a month or two into the season and then everybody just kind of moves on and stops talking about it and you brought this up as a a podcast topic Stephen, and i was like oh man let's do this so we're doing risers and fallers so we're going to talk about guys that coming into the year we were low on who've exceeded expectations and vice versa we're going to talk about guys that uh we had high expectations for that did not meet them and you know maybe heading back to school or maybe facing tough choices about what they're going to do with their draft status uh going forward so fun topic and in honor of nathan who can't can't be here tonight uh nathan grumble negative nathan (laughs) as he's known we're gonna start with a faller uh each so steven who is your faller that you were hyped for preseason that that kind of let you down a little bit a shout out to loose cannon nate who cannot Mm -hmm. be here um this weekend and it's all for good stuff you know nathan's got some some pretty big life events uh, coming down the pipe mm-hmm. and um, I'm very, very happy for him. But my first faller is a guy who was ranked very, very highly on a lot of RSCI um, way too early mock drafts, things like that. And it did not take me long into the season Maxwell just to be like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to call it how I see it. And I understand the athleticism. I understand the defensive potential, but Dylan Mitchell, Mm-hmm. Uh, was a player that that I came in. I was even lower on the consensus, but I still kind of hung on to that. Like, okay, there's a lot of people that like him. Maybe there's something just wrong with me. Let me mm-hmm. evaluate him. I came into the season with him at 18. Okay. And then he has since fallen all the way down to 79 for me. How do you feel about Dylan Mitchell? 
I think we haven't been in a similar place now. I was actually in a similar place too. I think, I think our podcast was pretty, pretty leery of him coming into the season. So I pulled up my 1.0 big board today and I had him at 28 before the season. So I was, I was pretty skeptical coming in. And I think part of it was just like one of those things where it's like, if everybody's seeing it, maybe I'm just wrong, but I I was, Mm -hmm. I was pretty low on him coming into the year, but I was like, I feel like I got to have him in the first just because he is RSCI number one. Like he looked really good catching those lobs in high school and, and finishing plays and defending up and down the positional spectrum. And it was like, well, maybe, you know, he played with Pitch like, played with you know guys that, that had the ball a lot maybe there are more ball skills there and like surely if he's ranked number two like dc will must be seeing some things or hearing some things that i'm just not privy to um but yeah i mean the season started and it just became pretty apparent pretty quickly that like he is a, an extremely limited offensive player i think it was his eighth game of the season before he had an assist um <laughs> he like had a couple like and I'm using, you know, air quotes here, but like highest scoring games early in the season, but uh, ended the year with just like a handful of games over double digits and several games down the stretch. I don't think he scored over 10 points since they played Texas A&M Commerce on yeah. uh, December 27th. Shout out to Marcus Demonia, my favorite Texas A&M Commerce product uh, prospect. Yeah, he's uh, top three for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Dylan Mitchell just, I think, really didn't show anything yeah. new than what he showed in high school and what he showed in high school is limited. Like he was just a lob catcher, play finisher defender and he's been good defensively. Like he can, he yeah. can defend guys, he can stay in front. He, you know, at six, eight plays bigger than he is, but ultimately he is a six, eight center that like, even if you're talking about like short roll passing or things that a guy like a trace Jackson Davis, right. Where it's like, Oh, well, he's only, you know, six, nine. So he's a little stubby for a center, but he has all these extra ball skills. He really flies off the floor. Trace Jackson Davis weighs 250 pounds. So he's much bigger yes. than Dylan Mitchell. Like there's all these things that like these undersized centers have that he just doesn't. And, you know, he's a very poor free throw shooter, 40.5% of free throws took very few jump shots. It's, it's just really hard to get excited, excited about him as a guy this year, when there isn't a clear like, oh, he's pretty close to figuring out this. Yeah, I, and the the thing with me, and we've talked about it all season long, man, is like he's afraid to put the ball on the ground, and that's mm-hmm. scary. Like if you're a wing forward player, and the NBA runs a lot of offense where these extended plays, you're going to touch the ball if you're operating in the front court. Like you might be trusted for DHOs, little pitch passes, things of that nature. Um, and if that's not open, you have to maybe take a dribble or two and then find the the next guy moving away from you. So mm-hmm. that stuff really scares me when he doesn't even really have a lot of connective skills. Now, I will say recently in some of the Texas's more recent like March Madness stuff, he's still been getting playing time. And that's something that we need to consider, too, Maxwell, yeah. is that even though he's not really been performing up to the level that a lot of people expected for him we've there's going to be another prospect that we're going to be talking about here soon that has had hit and miss playing time. At least Mm -hmm. we can say that Dylan Mitchell has been consistent (laughs) throughout the season to some degree. And and there's a lot there, but yeah, man, even the defense, then the athleticism, maybe even that was a little bit too much, like too much of a focus on his positives because Mm -hmm. by the time everybody is listening to this episode, I will have a, a new piece out on Jordan Miller and, 
Dylan Mitchell was on the wrong side of a Jordan Miller alley oop slam, and in, in yeah. one of the the clips that I'm going to share. But mm-hmm. yeah, just really really sad to see how his lack of development has bore itself out throughout the season. And obviously, as of this recording, we don't have any news as to whether or not he's going to declare or come back, like what his future mm-hmm. holds. And I think that in large part, it was just because of the inconsistency or yeah. the lack of living up to the potential that a lot of people expected from him. Yeah. And like to your point too, like it granted, he wasn't in sort of like a, a true playmaking role defensively, but like a steal percentage of two and block percentage of two are still just like. That's if that's going to be the thing that you hang your hat on is like defense. It's like, I, I need to see more than that. If that is, if you were yeah. going to be this simplistic on offense is an undersized big, like there's gotta be more. There's just yeah. straight up gotta be more. Um, Yeah. I do think it is a credit to him though, to your, to your point that he stayed in the rotation and also like, didn't seem to mind accepting that role one bit, which I do yeah. think is a huge credit to him. I think a lot of guys that would come in with that amount of buzz and hype would kind of, be sulking or be like, why am I not touching the ball? Or set? not a single report of like Dylan yeah. Mitchell's aggravated. Dylan Mitchell wants the ball more. Dylan Mitchell wants this. He wants that. Like that's a big credit to him. And that's one of those things that, like makes me think that, okay, I might not be interested in drafting Dylan Mitchell this season, but down the road, like I'm, I'm still interested. Like this is not yeah. a guy that I'm writing off and saying, absolutely not. Never. Like it, it does seem like he is a winner in that sense that like he will accept whatever, whatever role the team is asking for him and just do those things. So, and there were a lot of upperclassmen on Texas too. Right. So it's like another very old team, like another player that, that, that helps you out a little bit. Like, obviously we would love all these top dudes to be one and done's and then come in and be game chasers in the NBA. But unless you're that like 1% of 1%, you're going to come in and you're going to play a role to some degree. Like even Keegan Murray, who was a top, you know, one of the the highest picked players in this recent draft, it took him a while to fall into his role in Sacramento. So it's good for, like you said, like NBA front offices to see a guy who's come in on a team laden with upperclassmen and really bought into his role and helped Texas to advance as far as they did. Again, mm-hmm. there's a difference between his production and how it's translated to winning basketball because of what he already brought to Texas and what the expectations were and how they played themselves out throughout the year. Um, so my guy is somebody, my first follower is going to be somebody who I think was in a similar boat. Like this was a guy I had, I believe top 20 preseason, um, Florida state's Baba Miller. Mm, Um, so with Baba circumstances were weird, right? Like this is a guy who was coming over. He gets this kind of bogus 16 game suspension from the NCAA and he doesn't get to play until halfway through the season. He doesn't really have his legs under him. He's in the glut of ACC conference play. Like he's on a Texas, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a Florida state team. That's just like not good. Like they were no. yeah, nine and 23 on the season, seven and 13 conference play. So They got a little bit better on the stretch, but like just not up to the standard of, of your general Florida state basketball team. Um, yeah. So with Baba, like, yes, circumstances played a role, but I do think he was somehow kind of even more raw than I anticipated. Um, he didn't get to the free throw line very much. And again, we're talking like a guy who played 17 minutes per game and shot less than one free throw per game, but still shot like 30% on the, yeah, three for 10 from the free throw line, which is like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Um, 
Yeah, turn some some bad turnovers. Uh, not a lot of flashes on the passing front, but just like in terms of his pure ball skills, looked behind where I was hoping, and just really didn't look any more cooked than he did several months ago. Yeah, and I think what we saw from Cam Whitmore, um, in at Villanova. He, he kind of came in a little bit later than a lot of people would have wanted to see. And we saw what that lack of cohesion that he mm-hmm. built with the rest of that Villanova team, which was also kind of a stinker, too. I mean, if we're comparing yes, yeah. both of their scenarios, they both missed time and their teams underperformed wildly compared to expectations. Cam Whitmore eventually caught on towards the latter end of the year. Granted, he had more playing time yeah. than Baba, but we see what happens when you don't have that off season, right? Like mm-hmm. who knows to the extent of contact that Baba was even allowed to have with the team during his suspension, because the the punishment was issued before a lot of like, even like preseason exhibitions and things of that nature took place. So mm-hmm. really hard to just implant Baba Miller well past midway through the season and expect him to be at the same level as everybody else. So that did put him behind the eight ball. I'm very interested to see what he does next year. And he's such a weird player type in Florida State. They play like 32 players. Uh, <laughs> yeah, game. and they're it's all really... like six, eight. <laughs> yeah, and none of them could shoot. None of them can dribble. Mm. So it's really interesting to see how Baba committed to that team. Uh, how Again, how much he bought into his role, uh, probably because he understood the reality of how he was performing and the lack of... Um, build up into the season for him to build that chemistry with his teammates kind of played itself out throughout the year. It's just, it's so weird to watch him because he, he already looked like an alien because of his frame and the, his mm-hmm. style of play, but he was even alienated from his team. And then coming in when he did, it was just, I don't know. I felt odd watching him play basketball this year because of all the surrounding circumstances. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Like he, he was definitely dealt a tough hand. And again, like, even more so than Dylan Mitchell, like a guy I'm really interested to see how he comes back. Like, how are you going to look now that you have a full offseason to acclimate a guy who grew late too. So it's maybe like you got the weird yeah. kind of grown into your body, grown into your frame kind of thing. And like, I think even like Bobby Clinton is like a testament to that in some ways. Yeah. It's like early in the year, like compared to the end of the year, I thought he was moving way better. Like Bobby looked so much smoother and, and more agile and athletic. And like, maybe there's some of that going on with Baba too. Um, and I did, I did think he did some things well. Like I thought he, he, his ability to contest, especially in the mid range and around the basket on defense, like really sit out. Like, I think there were some defensive things that looked really good at the same time. He also fouled a ton and like Mm -hmm. the, the turnovers were just the big thing that killed me where it's like, all right, I, I don't have the level of like trust toward Baba with a ball in his hands that I did before the season. Like, I think that's, my big hang up. But I do think that there is, I really thought he was going to shoot before this year too. And it's like, I know it's yeah. free throws and I shouldn't <laughs> stress myself out over it, but it's like, all right, the three didn't look that good. The free throws didn't look good the form. Uh, I need to kind of dive into this off season to see where I'm at with that. But yeah, just not a guy. I, I still thought he was going to have a pretty profound impact for Florida state when he came back and that just didn't actualize. And it's interesting that you bring up uh, Bobby Clintman because, you know, when I interviewed him earlier um, in the season, he said the reason that he wanted to go play um, high school ball um, in in Kansas with mm-hmm. Grady Dick and company was because he needed to get more acclimated to American style basketball. So mm-hmm. not only are we seeing 
the change in Baba Miller on when he came into the team and the lack of chemistry, but he's also kind of being indoctrinated into American style basketball too. So a lot of obstacles kind of mounting up in front of him for this season. We probably should have been a little bit more patient and understanding um, for his debut and things like that. Well, I'll say we, I'll speak for myself. I should have Mm -hmm. been more patient because I thought that he was going to, I thought he was going to hit the ground running obviously, because like you, I had him, um, easily within my first round as well but mm-hmm. there are just a lot of things for an international player to come over um, from world play and professional you know overseas basketball to come in playing d1 college basketball uh, against some of the top, top players within your conference on a night in night out it's it's a big change and uh, there was just too much working against him but I'm very interested to see what he does uh, for this upcoming season for sure. For sure. Um, so before our next one, we're, we're going to start to go into some risers on our boards. But first, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. All right, we are back and we're going to get into some risers. I'm going to lead off the riser section. I'm going to kick it back over to you. We'll go go snake draft style here. Um, I'm going to go with my most boring riser and get that one out of the way first, which okay. is Wallace, who went from about 16, 17 on my board uh, to now being number nine on my current board. So uh, nothing too crazy here, uh, but I thought my worry with Kaysen coming into the year, and it's actually, I think, part of maybe my reservations with, with having him this high, is I thought he was like a little boring. Like I, th- I thought that yeah. this guy's clearly a really good defender um he's gonna play with a lot of intensity he's gonna make simple passes well uh you know he's he's gonna play transition defense too and you know he he can he could you know play without the ball a little bit too so in a kentucky system where sometimes you're the off guard even if you're the highly touted guard recruit like i thought he'd step in and do well um my bigger concerns with him were just about like being a lead guard like i i didn't love his first step and I wasn't very confident in him as like a tougher shot maker or creator or a guy who would like really do things for himself. Um, in the end, I, I have started to just become more and more enamored with Kaysen. The more I've dug into the film, I do think there are some real limiting concerns still. Um, ultimately, this is a guy whose three point percentage was, was not great. Um, especially down the stretch. He shot like in the mid to low twenties from three in conference play. Uh, but he was dealing with a back injury. I do think that later in the season, he got a lot more comfortable dribbling. And I think his vision got a lot better. I thought he started to make a lot more advanced passes as we got deep into the heart of SEC play and as Kentucky sort of figured out their rotation a little bit more and started to play more shooters around him and things like that. Um, so I'm banking on the fact that once his injury is behind him, that he is going to be able to catch and shoot. And that defensively, like he's just straight up one of the best guard defenders out there. His motor is really high. Um, but I think the shooting indicators overall are pretty good. So he didn't take a lot of pull-up threes, but he's 34.6% on him. Uh, and he also made 44.8% of his pull-up twos, which is like a really, really high. Number. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm ultimately buying that he's going to shoot it. Um, I think he just showed me a lot more with his vision. And the shot was a little bit further along. And I think that he is like okay enough at just like knowing how to play a ball screen and make a good read. Like he's he's yeah. 
little bit better at that kind of stuff than I thought. Again, I, I don't love his handle. I don't love his ability to like keep his dribble for very long. I don't think he's the wiggliest. I don't think he's going to, you know, break his man down one-on-one. Like that's, I, I just don't think is there, but I think if you're projecting him to be like a complimentary guard who plays next to a star, like I think he's going to do that pretty well at the next level. Yeah. It's funny, Maxwell. Like we were talking about guys that we, we might want to bring up for the show. And one thing that I shared, shared with you before we recorded is like, I've had case and Wallace, like from beginning to now at 11 through. The yeah, entire yeah, yeah. And to me, it's like, do I bump him up simply because he stood the test of time? Like we were talking about rises and fall, risers and fallers. And I have case and Wallace in pretty much like the exact same spot that I've had him all season mm-hmm. long. Like I've even moved Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama or Victor Wembanyama, mm-hmm. but I haven't moved case and Wallace at yeah. all. So maybe that's worth a little bit of a bump, but kind of the same things that you were looking at, like at the later end of the season, like that was stuff that I thought would happen at some point in the season mm-hmm. um, was really impressed on the film with his defense. And I think that that has like probably been more resounding throughout the season than I would have anticipated. Like, I think he's pound for pound, the best defensive playmaker in this class. I mean, he, he's nasty with chase down blocks. I think he baits guys in the open it's floor. Wild. Yeah. With the, it's really it's one thing to just recover and block a shot, but for like a ball handler to know that you're one on one and it feels like the advantage is on him. Like he knows that you're coming to the bucket on a transition play. And the offensive player just feels like he's being sucked in from like through a tractor beam to the basket just so he can get his shot blocked mm-hmm. by Kaysen. So that's fun to watch. And then offensively, I think the shot was the one thing that I've just I've, I felt pretty secure with throughout the entire year. I know he's had injuries. Kentucky has just been a hot mess. I don't know if I give him a Kentucky bump thinking that he's like just an, a nasty ball handler and he just hadn't had a chance to show it. I don't know if I'm going to give him that significant of a bump. I just think mm-hmm. that he's been, you know, Mr. Reliable all yes. season long. And yeah. that's that's what NBA teams want. They want reliability, right? We talk all the time about potential. We would talk all the time about ceilings and stuff like that. But we know that young players don't play a lot, and the ones that do, they have to contribute and contribute in winning ways. And pretty much everything that Kaysen does checks all of those boxes. So I'm with you, man. I I don't have him as a big riser, but I'm very high on his upside as an NBA player. Yeah, I think the other um, things that have stuck out to me were like you mentioned, like the transition play and like the transition shot blocking, like. The guys over the years who've had his block rate that are guards and combo guards are all dudes that are like elite athletes, nasty defenders, or just absurdly high field guys. Like your outliers that aren't like crazy athletes or outrageous defenders are guys like Tyrese Halliburton, where it's like that dude just feels the game of basketball in his bones. Like there's no way around it. And like the other thing I want to give Casey credit for, because I did knock the handle and I, I do like have some concerns about it. Because yeah. of how strong he is, he's still very good at getting to his spots. Like when I mm-hmm. um, wrote my Trey Alexander article, like one of the things I did was create a thing of like, just like a little table of like the guards that we have projected as first round grades on no ceilings. And it was like the percentage of time that they get to the rim, uh, like what percent of their shots are at the rim or in the half court, what percent of them are assisted and how they finish there. And like Casey Wallace was the best at all of it. Like Casey Wallace mm. gets to the rim and he gets there unassisted. 
more, I believe more than any other guard in this class um, that's, that's in that type of conversation. Like if you include Mike Miles, it might be a little bit different, but um, of the first round guys, only Kobe Buffkin got to the rim more, but 26.7% of Buffkin's rim attempts were assisted. Were only 9.6% of Casey Wallace's were. Um, he also made 60% of his shots at the rim in the half court. Jeez. And this is like generally like a bad finishing class. Like I, I was yeah. kind of updating, like it's like data time, like there's no games going on. So it's just like time to like update data and, and stuff like that. And when I was doing that, like this is just not a great class for rim finishing in general, but mm. like out of these guards, Kaysen is like comfortably the best at finishing at the rim in the half court and he's getting there more than anybody else. So it's like, maybe I got to stop worrying about like the handle and just focus on the fact that like, he's getting there and he's not like coughing the ball up. Like it's not like his handle is bad. It's just that he no. doesn't keep it alive for very long. He's just very, it's quick. not it's advanced. Not there. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I want to give uh credit to case and Wallace there. So uh, for sure. Is, who is up next for you is, is your first riser. So my first riser is shout out to um, Nathan Grumble, uh, Bryce Sensabaugh. Uh, I had, yeah, I had him at 40 coming into the season and i feel like i was somewhat justified right like he's a, a freshman going to um ohio state just kind of built funny you know what i mean like he's one of these just like polygon basketball players out there mm. like a human trapezoid and he just is a hooper man like since since my first board to where i'm at now he's risen to 15 i know that there are plenty of people at no ceilings that still like him higher but i think moving from 40 to 15 is saying a lot for how yeah for how well his season has gone for him this year i mean we can make comments about the passing we can make comments about the defense uh, we can make comments that yeah he makes tough shots but why are they always feel like they're tough shots most most players outside of bryce sensible weren't that good so really other teams really just had to fo- focus on the dynamism that their six man uh, came off the bench for a lot of the season too. So contextualizing Bryce, I think that he might actually rise up a little bit on my next rendition of, of my board. But mm-hmm. as we circle back and start watching these dudes now that like seasons are over, but I think I was, I think he gives the perception that he's slow footed and that he's unathletic. But when you watch him play, it's the exact opposite. And I think that body types um, are such a, a weird thing that we have to evaluate now coming into mm-hmm. the NBA with guys like Kenneth Lofton winning, yeah. you know, um, G league MVP uh, mm-hmm. this season and, and things of that nature. We just kind of need to get over like who looks like a, a basketball player and mm-hmm. just see who's been good at playing basketball. Play. Yeah. yeah. Who can actually play. And Bryce is, I mean, we're talking about scoring. We're talking about ball handling. We're talking about shooting as well. And I think that we often forget about how good of a shooter Bryce Sensible is because he has a score tag um, thrown on him, but he's efficient at pretty much every aspect of his offensive game. And I think that with more talent around him, we will see that assist rate go up pretty easily. Uh, I feel like with his handle and his feel for the game as a scorer, I think that that's something that could translate pretty easily to passing as well. Like I, I, I just, I have a, a pretty high, I have a high outlook for him moving forward. So mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to shout him out as uh, my first riser. Yeah. So one thing I want to, so I'm like really in on Bryce. Like I have Bryce 12 right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, 
I get the concerns about the defense. Like the off balls, it's a disaster. Like he was one yeah. of like, like a lot of times, like, oh, this guy's bad at defense, but like they still play in crunch time of college games and like not Bryce, not Bryce. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an issue. <laughs> um, and like he can do all the point of attack, and he is so physical that like when he wants to contain guys, he can. But a lot of times he's just a little too content to be like, nah, you can get by me right now. Um, I think the one thing that really jumps out to me about him is that his scoring is just next level. And there, there's concerns about it, right? Cause he's, he's tough yeah. shot making reliant and his handle again, like another guy where like the handle and footwork aren't the best. There's some like, bend and feet things that he can do to like get himself space mm-hmm. in the way that like a DeMar DeRozan does. And like Corey has like had a really good article like, and has shared things like that. Just about like the different ways that they use the lower part of their body to generate space and get themselves a little bit of room in the mid range. Um, but yeah, he is just unbelievably efficient. So um tracking like players who stuck in the NBA um, among like forwards, he's got, he would be like the top in my database for usage uh-huh. uh, for guys from like the last seven years and on efficient field goal percentage of those super high usage rate guys. Um, the only two in like the top 20% that had enough, a higher uh, effective field goal percentage than him were Rui Hachimura and Zion Williamson. So like it's pretty rare to be that high usage and as efficient as Bryce yeah. was. Um, so we're ultimately talking about a guy who scored yeah, 40.3 points per 100 possessions, Jeez. which is like just shy of what Zion did on 48, 40.5, 83 splits. And like, I bring this up every time I talk about him because it's just like, it's really important to consider like, this is an elite scoring prospect. Like guys who score at this volume, at this clip and do that that efficiently, it's really rare. Um, So at a certain point, like it's an offensive oriented league. He's not a bad athlete. Like he's a good, he's straight up a good athlete and he's strong enough that he's going to play in an NBA court and guys are not going to plow through him. And I don't know to me, it's just like, I can't, I can't put him out of the lottery when we're in an offensive ecosystem and he has the tools to be able to play defense. It's just a matter of kind of figuring it out. And I think, yeah, like I think to your point, I think the assist rate would be better on a better team. Um, and he definitely seemed to get more comfortable passing throughout the yeah. season. He didn't always get rewarded for it. Um, and it's certainly not like a strength of his, like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, go run pick and rolls or rest sense of all. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like in these games, he's more of like a spot up attack kind of guy, but, uh, at least out of the gate, but I don't think it's like a huge deficiency. So I think you, when a guy scores like that, I think you just take him and and you hope that you can get something to stick on the defensive end and maybe hope that with lower usage or whatever that that he can get it to work so to me he's like a guy that you have to gamble on at a certain point and i have him 15 and i know that that feels like miles away from the lottery but it's like i mean it's like oh it's right right there man you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like well a lot of people like have him like in the 20s still like it's yeah it's not out of the ordinary to be much lower than i am and and what's crazy is is that I, I mean, I see it, right? Like, I get it. It's just that I feel like there are just... Obviously, I feel like there are more players that have better pathways. And I feel like it's not only his build, but I think his height is a little bit of a of a factor, too, for the, the style mm-hmm. of play that he is. Like I said, it's just... I think I just have such a hard time with the body type. And I don't think that he's lazy, lethargic, unathletic, anything like that. It's just like conceptually seeing him play basketball 
I don't know. It's just like hard for me to kind of get past because he's, he's just built. Like we say that all the time about players, like they're built different. Like he's legitimately built different. And it's, I don't know. I just have a little bit of hesitation compared to some of the other guys that know. I get it. Yeah. I definitely see. I definitely see it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's, uh, Let's let's go back to the negative again. We'll we'll continue yeah. the snake system. So who who's another guy that, that let you down and broke your heart? Yeah, so we talked about Dylan Mitchell and how even though he let us down a little bit as to production, he still played and contributed to winning. Uh the same cannot be said for Kalel Ware out of Oregon, who mm-hmm. I had ranked 20th coming into the season. I know that Derek Lively versus Kalel Ware was a big point of conversation. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the year. And I, you know, I was team, I was team Kalel Ware coming into the year. And I had him at 20. I now have him at I had him at 65 before he decided himself that he wasn't ready for the NBA and announced that he is going to not be entering the the draft and he has entered the transfer portal. So we don't mm-hmm. even know where he's going to be going, but that's going to be an interesting name to monitor. There was just so much, you know, tools wise that I was looking forward to seeing, you know, there was like on offense playing in Arkansas, there was like, is he a floor spacer? You know, how mobile is he? Is he going to be a consistent lob threat? And then defensively, he was just supposed to be a defensive anchor. And he went to Oregon where, you know, they have Nafali Dante, you know, they have Biddle, they have a whole stable of big men right in front of them. And, I even said at the time, whenever he committed, you know, when we did our shows about like who, who made good decisions and stuff like that, Khalil Ware kind of baffled me for going to Oregon because not only were there a lot of centers, but they're not really churning out dudes like one and done Mm -hmm. dudes anymore. Like they have returners that go, go and do some things, but the the decision kind of baffled me a little bit. He hadn't, he didn't really see the floor that much. I wrote about him during the season um, to where even the defense wasn't all the way there. He, he was slow to his rotations offensively. Like he could not get anything going. Even the arms reach stuff was like, eh, like he's okay, but it's nothing that I'm like in a hurry to invest any sort of draft capital with. So I've had him kind of outside my top 60 for a little bit. And I think that he was smart to hear the noise and say, okay, maybe this is not the spot for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt my stock. We're seeing how guys can enter the league, you know, um coach spins wrote a great piece on trevor kills um that has uh hit the internet and i think Kalel Ware might have read that and said okay i need to go back to school and uh really get these developmental reps in to bolster my draft stock and build my confidence up because you don't want to declare for the nba draft with a, a hit to your confidence because i think teams players can sense that stuff so i'm hoping the best for him but yeah he was one of my biggest followers 45 spots yeah, I I believe I had him around like that 20 mark and I was still like kind of holding on to like a little bit of hope. Like I had him in the 40s. One of the weirdest seasons I can remember in some time. Um yeah. as far as just like game to game, you don't know what you're gonna get. Like I, I wrote about it column this week, but like I was watching his NIT games and in, in one game he was like looking great. Like he made some really sharp passes out of the post and like hit some shots and it was like, Oh man, like, here we go. And then the next game, it's like two offensive foul calls for that lead to turnovers. And then uh, like just getting like totally flustered by a double team 
forcing awful contested shots early in the clock. Like it was just, you never knew what you were getting game to game. And maybe part of that was role. Um, but it, it made him a much scarier proposition. Cause like, even yeah. if you dig in like some of the advanced numbers and stuff, it's like, all right, well, obviously his effective field goal percentage was a little rough, like for a big, right? Like he, he took a decent amount of threes. He didn't really hit them. He wasn't the best finisher on the baskets. He's not that strong. Um, but yeah, just like would occasionally like, lose the roll man on pick and rolls and stuff like that, where it's like, all right, like you mentioned like the missed rotations, like there's just certain things where it's like, oh man. And then other games you tune in, it's like, wow, yeah, he's like, he's getting there. He's blocking shots. He's, he's contesting all in the mid range. Like he's doing all these things you want to see him do. So just like on a game by game basis, you could be like, I'm starting to see it again with Kalal Ware. And then the next game, be like, no, this guy, he kind of stinks. So uh, it was, it was a very, very strange season. I love the decision to go back to school. Yes. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was in Gavoni's tweet about it. He noted that he was projected to be a second round pick but they were afraid that after teams did Intel and like interviews and digging that he would not get drafted, which I was mm. like, yeah, all right. Like that's, that's a little freaky. Uh, so that, that still has me a little bit concerned, but I'm, I'm ultimately very encouraged by his decision to go back to school because I, yeah. and to enter the portal. Cause I think it's two for one. It's, it's him realizing this was a bad situation for me. I'm not going to get to, to play through my mistakes. I have no leash. I'm barely getting on the floor. Sometimes I'm straight up not playing like good for him to get out of there. And also good for him to realize, like I got to develop. I, it would, it is not the best for me to enter the league right now. I'm going to continue to get a college degree for free, get some NIL money and just continue yeah. to round out my game and, and go in a little more prepared. So I commend him for the decision. I think it's, it's a fantastic choice uh, for him. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, and I think too, man, that like a lot of people will look at some of the other players that are declaring some of these other one and dones that were projected, projected be one and dones, and I think kind of look at his decision in a little bit more of a cynical nature. We need to understand that like the NBA has had guys like Jalen Williams, uh, Benedict Matherin, uh, multi-year guys that didn't mm-hmm. come in after one and done seasons come in and like really have a lot to show for it, man. So, and Khalil Ware still needs to develop physically a little bit more. You know, uh, if you compare him to Derek Lively, Lively is a little bit more ready um, for the physicality of the NBA frame wise. And I don't think that Khalil Ware had gotten there yet throughout the course of the season, but there's just so much that he has to hit in, man. And we talk about potential players and production players, Kalorar has still been more on that potential side, and especially at the five, like you really need to have more substance to your game. <sighs> thing, man. Yeah, yeah, because it's and like I, I wasn't even like a huge like I was a lively guy because I wasn't a huge believer in some like the passing and ball skill stuff with Ware, but I yeah. did think he was going to be more consistent as a rim protector. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I understood that it's like all right, in some of the high school games it didn't pop, but like you watch the McDonald's game or you watch some of these other games where he's on the floor with other high level guys who's really locked in. So I was kind of banking on like, oh, he's going to be a first round pick because he's going to play defense and he's going to shoot. And I still think he is going to shoot. I, I really yeah. buy the shot for him. Um, it's just like the defense. Yeah. It's gotta be way more consistent because if you're inconsistent at the five as a defender, like there's, there aren't a lot of fives that are so good at offense that it can compensate for, for being bad defenders. It's very, very hard. Yeah. You can't be an okay offensive player and a poor defensive player and NBA teams be like, well, you're tall. Like, let's get you in here. That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Um, so for my next faller, um, I'm going to talk about Arthur Kaluma. 
Mm. He's a guy that I had like 14 at the start of the year. Yeah. Uh, we're submitting boards this weekend. I've got him 51 right now. And even then it's like, would I really be excited about drafting Arthur Kalima? <laughs> that sounds harsh, but um, I was, I was just like really impressed with the FIBA play this off season. I thought some of his stuff with like, I mean, obviously as, as coach spins, all these jokes, like the best the, the, people just fall for that pump fake all the time. But yep. I thought the faking and driving, I thought some of his like, handle stuff that he showed there was good i thought his footwork looked like it was coming together he was hitting shots off of his footwork more consistently in the fiba play games that he was in so it was just like man this dude is six seven he's a good athlete he's he's quick for his size he can move he can get up he's physically strong like this guy's gonna figure out how to how to get himself some looks and like we're gonna be off to the races like this is gonna be the big breakout guy uh in the sophomore class and it just did not happen um so his field goal percentage his field goal attempts per game were 9.0 to 9.3 field goal percentage went from 44.4 to 42.3 so slight dip three point percentage did go up uh went from the volumes got the same 3.3 attempts to 3.6 but went from 26.5 percent to 31.1 percent um, but like stealing block rates, the same assist rate, a little bit better turnovers, a little bit worse, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the leap I was hoping for. And like, yeah. he just still feels very incomplete and not, he lacks a signature skill, right? Like for a guy yeah. who had his physical tools, it just feels like he should be much further ahead defensively than he is. Um, and without that, or without like, a reliable three point shot or like really good cutting instincts or just some sort of role to fill on offense. You're basically looking at him as like an inefficient spot up guy. And then just hoping something clicks. And like, I don't know if I'm getting that kind of two way. And like, maybe I, I just hope that like he has a big development year in the G league. And then next year he's ready to play in some games. Yeah. Even like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I worry that my biggest fear with him is I thought last year he looked raw and this year I've started to worry that he is just not that coordinated. And like yeah. there are times where he's going to the basket and his footwork is just kind of shaky and he just moves a little bit weird. And like his contests are a little bit awkward and sometimes his feet don't move as well as they should on defense. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm a little concerned that I, I just got a little too excited about a couple good FIBA games, <laughs> but where, where are you at with Arthur Kaluma? So similar, man. Like I had him pretty high up in the in the first round as well. And I have him in that mid to late second round range now. And mm-hmm. I want to kind of ask you like more of a theoretical question with him is like, do you think that with Creighton, like too much of a good thing is a bad thing for him? You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're just I think it all, a lot of their guys from like a draft all standpoint. Of, yeah, all their guys are in like double like average double figure scoring, which is good. And it's like great if you're a head coach, right. And mm-hmm. you can just have like any of these guys that you can turn to depending no matter who you're matched up against, but it's like, you know, that your touches are going to be limited. You know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. that you're going to want to feed Calc, you know, that Nim Harton and um, Alexander are going to have the ball in their hand and, you know, Baylor's going to have the ball. In yeah. Hand and like, yeah, he's like a, a weird, weirdly more on ball guy than you would have thought coming into the year, even though he showed passing stuff, obviously it's going to go stay yeah. good assist numbers, but I anticipated him to be more of like a spot up guy there. Yeah, me too. And and so that's the thing is like, 
was was there really any room for him to dominate? You know what I mean? Like with mm-hmm. the team that he's on, do you think that, you know, Coach McDermott would have allowed that to happen to allow one guy to be like such a high volume dude in, within his system? Mm-hmm. That's like, I'm, I'm just trying to be like devil's advocate, advocate mm-hmm. with this because like you, like there are things that I'm worried about. Like he does have some pretty cool craft around the basket, like some up and under things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's going to be his game in the NBA. No. Um, he doesn't have a strong handle for like a wing or a forward. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't have the consistent jump shot. And he's like, a, he's a solid college defender, but he's not doing anything that's like really yeah. wowing me either. So it's like at that position, what are you doing that's setting you apart from your peers? And right now, I don't, I think the answer is not much. And yeah. at his position, we talk about it being a wings league now, but is it because they're safer? Is it because there's an abundance of them? If there's an abundance of them, like, are you in a hurry to just say like, oh, we need a Kaluma type on this team right now. Like those seem to be a diamond dozen in the NBA mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like everyone wants wings, right? Like everyone wants these guys that are Kaluma's height and have Kaluma's mm-hmm. frame and can defend and shoot. And it's like, all right, we has the height in the frame, but like the defense and the shot just aren't, aren't quite there yet. We'll, and we'll get it there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the hope, right? Is that like, I'd assume the character stuff is really good. Like it, it sounds kind of resoundingly positive based on like the bits that I've heard. Um, but to your point, I think that is where it's an evaluator. I'm, I made a mistake coming into the year was like not considering the context. And like, this was never going to be like it. I feel silly in hindsight, looking back and like, I should have known this was never going to like be Arthur Kaluma's team. Um, yeah. But I think to your point, like there were a lot of mouse that had to get fed in that offense um but when i watched those games and maybe this is favorite favoritism because i just wrote about trey alexander but like down the stretch or like the game there was that one game i can't remember one of the tournament games they're having a rough game and like trey was the guy they went to it was like go to trey go to baylor like those are the guys that are gonna get us out of it and like it felt to me like when there was like it's kaluma's turn possessions it was always like a disappointment like it was always frustrating like oh man they're feeding arthur right now and he needed to be set up, right? Like he was mm-hmm. like, to your point, he's not a guy that you turn to in times of crisis to, mm-hmm. to get you out of those areas. Like Calc Brenner being at his size, at his frame with his toucher on the basket. Like there's a lot of trust that you can have in a guy like that at the college level. And then the guards who can shoot, who can handle, who can attack, um, do a number of different things and be trusted with the ball. And again, we keep talking about Baylor. Like he, he's not the best passer, but he does a lot of creative things that are mm-hmm. either hit or miss. And Columa just doesn't have that in his bag. Like it would be cool if we saw him taking on that, you know, Baylor Shireman role where he at least was trying some of the stuff this year that, that Baylor is not scared at all to attempt. Um, but yeah, it, it has been disappointing, but to his, again, to his credit, like, he still did enough for me to say like, all right, if I'm in the, the back half of the second round, like, yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, Arthur. It's fine. Shot, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to do one of my risers next. My daughter's being a little noisy if, if she comes through. So don't sweat. We got to do what we got to do over here. She's uh, disappointed about Arthur. Kaluma yeah. She's too. just really mad. She, she had Arthur Kaluma eight on her pre. So yeah. So she's really upset. Baby boards. Uh, so we did. Yeah, we did have baby boards do a, uh, an NCAA tournament bracket and she had UConn winning. She picked, we showed her pictures of the mascots and she picked and UConn's still in the mix. Uh, That's she who did I also love the Providence Friar for some reason. So yeah, it's not a scary 
face, even though it's a cloaked hooded figure. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah, there's like some some Robin Hood or Friar Tuck vibes as opposed to mm-hmm. like Darth Maul or Darth Sidious or someone like that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, so for my for my next riser, I'm gonna go with Grady Dick. So Grady Dick is somebody that I just thought was gonna take a while. Um, and I feel again like just kind of silly in hindsight because he's clearly such a special shooter. Um, but at the same time, like when I saw him in person, the McDonald's game, I was just very worried about how thin his frame was. Um, he was really, really skinny and I was worried that, um, I'm sorry. My daughter's like grabbing my foot. It's my podcast right now. So, uh, having an 18 year old in the room while you podcast is like, this is, this is the life that we lead until, until Tyler Rucker can build no ceilings HQ for us. I know exactly Uh, how you feel, man. So yeah. So Grady Dick, I I was just worried like physically, I thought he was way too thin. I I didn't think that he was going to be able to like even deal with some of the college level physicality. And I really didn't like his handle. I didn't like how he put the ball on the floor and he's chased off the line. And I didn't like the decisions that he made with the ball. I thought he picked up his dribble too much. I thought he did not have the best vision for finding his teammates. And I liked how he jumped. Like I thought he got up well, but I was like, eh, he's just not going to finish. Like guy, guys are just going to like bump him right out of the air. Um, but yeah, I actually thought he, he did fantastic this season. Yeah. Um, obviously the shot scaled up very well. And um, I think with some of the other stuff, like the, the passing like there were really monumental leaps that i just didn't see coming before the start of the year like it's it's pretty rare to see um like you even look look at a guy like jordan hawkins where it's like oh man like later in the season he's starting to get a little bit better at like the passing field but still compared to where it was a year ago it's about the same right like he's not a ton better at finding guys who can get chased off the line so for grady dick to do what he did while playing better competition, I thought was incredibly impressive. Like I thought he did a tremendous, tremendous job. Um, so yeah, Grady Dick was a guy that I thought was going to be maybe in school for another year. And there were, there were outlets that like had him first yeah. round. And like, I, I just was very worried about the, the body and the decision-making. I thought he was going to be pretty limited as a first year player, effective, but limited. So yeah, he's, he's been a big riser for me. And Kansas has like kind of developed a culture to where like dudes aren't coming in year one anymore and leaving the same year. Right. So Grady kind of felt like he was on that Oshai Baji um, Christian Brown trajectory where, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to preheat the oven. We're going to sit them in. We're going to let them cook the recommended time that's on the back of the box. Right. No, they put them in a microwave. They hit the, they hit the power button. And then he just, he got out ready. Um, I don't like, that Grady Dick has kind of been, I don't want to say slandered, but mm-hmm. I feel like as much as he's risen to us, I felt like we also got bored with him at this same because he, yeah, I think he that's rose real. quick. I think he rose quickly mm-hmm. um, throughout the year. And now I think that we're looking at other shooters, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and rightfully so like the other shooters that we're bringing up, like Jordan Hawkins, it took me a long time to come around on him. I yeah, have yeah, them yeah. both in the same neighborhood. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I see why we're comparing them and I see the positives for Jordan Hawkins to be ahead of Grady Dick. Right. But I also <laughs> think that huh? I said, I don't, I think, I think Grady Dick's bigger. I think like I get that Hawkins is a better defender, but and like, he's I, I just trust movement Green. shooter. I, he's a, he's a much better movement shooter. Like I think Hawkins is like comfortably better as a movement shooter 
and I think he's a better defender. But I think with Grady, it's like the chase off the line game is just so much better. Like just so Dude, much better at finding guys, so much better at finishing. Like world better passer, better, better rebounder, like yeah. more mm-hmm. more complete game. And and this is like an interesting thing to talk about with shooters is like how great do you have to be at that skill for you to be taken mm-hmm. as high as you are, as opposed to like how complete of a game do you have to have to be taken as high, right? With Grady, I have just felt, I felt confident, man, like in him all season long to where like if the shot isn't falling, what else is he doing? I saw him play TCU to where like he wasn't hitting shots. He was actually getting double teamed and he was like making very good passing reads. He keeps his dribble alive. He goes to the rim when he's not making three point line or three point shots, which is a big benefit for him. So I'm with you, man. I had him as a, as an early second. And now I kind of have him. I still have him like in lottery range, like despite some of the, the new oh, yeah, shooters there. that he's have there for me too. Yeah. Yeah. There have been new shooters like being projected up to that same range. I still believe in Grady Dick as a, as a shooter. I mean, you guys would remember I took him eight to Indiana over a Thompson. So obviously I'm going to like him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> memories good big yes big memories. yeah so yeah I, I i'm with you i think grady is just like really proven himself and I, i'm with you i think when we're talking about shooters like it's to your point like he has these good games even when the shot doesn't fall and like certain guys just get a reputation as shooters to the point that like it almost doesn't matter if they're going in from a spacing perspective like when he's cold yeah. teams aren't going to just leave him alone so no i i think he's got real value in gravity and the so, defense like went from being like everyone thought that he was going to be the absolute worst defender in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And that hadn't been the case for him at all. This no, year. no. And like he, his recognition is really quick. Like he had that one like big block in a game later in the season. And I think his, his feet are okay. Like, I don't think yeah. they're good, but I think they're going to be good enough uh, as he continues to fill out his body. And like, he's just got to get bigger. Like right now, that's like the biggest thing is guys are just going to plow through him at the next level initially. Uh, so like, that's really where he's got to make big changes. Um, but I, th- I think he will. I think he'll, he'll get that together. Um, who was your next uh, riser that you want to harp on? Yeah. So um, a guy who had 51 um, at the beginning of the season. Now I have 10 mm-hmm. uh, and I went to see him live and got to interview him. That being Taylor Hendricks. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really weird. Like I felt like, I didn't really know much about him, but then when I went back and looked at my board, it's like, oh, I had him, I had him as a second rounder. So like mm-hmm. that's something cool just to kind of like go back to. And I think it was because right at a certain point, he's a top like 50 recruit. He's big. His film looked nice, you know, defensively, and like he ran the floor. He's very coordinated for his size, which is always kind of a plus. And as the season has gone on, man, like he has done not he and Drew Pember uh mm-hmm. had like that game is yeah 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 the ucf uh unc (laughs) actual game it was like the i think like the first game for both teams this season is just like a wild wild watch uh we'll we'll keep it wrestlemania or wrestling themed here it's like Mm -hmm. you know the the part in the match where it's like the your turn my turn punching or back chops and like the crowd is like oh ah like that's what the (laughs) that's what that's what that game was like it was Mm -hmm. a part of the wrestling match where Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels are back chopping each other. Mm-hmm. But Taylor has just all season long proven to have two things or three things. Here we go. 
uh, NBA size at six foot nine, six foot ten, good mm-hmm. build, uh, incredible three point shooting all season long. Yep. And then three is an incredible rim protector. Those are yeah. just like all entry level skills and and features that he has to his game. And throughout the year, like he's improved his rebounding, his screen setting, his passing. He's going to get stronger, which is going to show up a lot of weaknesses mm-hmm. in his game. I'm just a big believer in Taylor Hendricks, man, to the point to where yeah. like I could take him as high as maybe seven or eight mm-hmm. and not really lose sleep about it. But yeah. I have him at 10 right now. He's, I think that that's pretty safe. He's seven for me right now. And, and see, he, I love yeah. that you did that. I love he, that you have him that high. So he was not preseason top 60 for me. He was like not really on my radar because he just, just wasn't like I yeah. I feel like I don't even remember. Like I know I did because <laughs> I watched everybody that was RSCI top 100. I yeah. have like no recollection of watching his film. Like my notes are pretty like limited. It's just like big, maybe can shoot like skinny. Yeah. Like my like pre like college <laughs> notes are like so rudimentary. That's like I was just this question mark. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he looks absolutely huge. Um, he is very, very tall. Uh, he's pretty skinny, which like, I think that's like the one thing where I'm like, all right, pump the brakes. People understand people are like, he's going to play right away. And like, we will play some five. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like he's, he's almost going to be playing like three out of the gate in a lot of lineups, yeah. which is fine. Like he's quick enough. Like Lowry market in three on Cleveland, you know? Yep. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of where I see him initially, but yeah, the shooting indicators are wild. And like, it was one of those things mm-hmm. where early in the year, like we kind of started to move him up earlier than I think a lot of people did. Cause I think a lot of people were still being careful and we we're just like, nah, this dude's huge. You can really shoot. Yeah. Um, UCF, where's that? Yeah. 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 So I think the other thing that um, I think has really won me over is his defense because I thought it was yes. incredibly like hypothetical, like early in the year. And that's like where I had him like closer to 20. So it's just like, yeah, you can like switch sometimes. And then other times he's like standing straight up and just like putting his hands all over people and getting called for a foul. Like, but then, yeah, like you watch the the Florida game or some of those other games down the stretch. And it's like, man, this guy's like getting Houston. into it with his technique. Yeah. Sitting in his stance, like really doing it. Like to your point, he always blocks shots. Like the rim protections always yeah. been there, but like the on ball switching stuff was always kind of like, you're like, Oh, you can guard f- one through four. And it's like, mm, like can mm. he like is that a consistent thing that he does uh, and it started to become more of that um the yeah so the shooting indicators mentioned so he's 40.9 percent on catch and shoot threes uh so between that it is like the fact that he's like gonna play solid defense is good but like the pull-up is good too 40 point uh 40 percent on pull-up too so like if he's just got to take that one dribble pull-up he can um really struggled finishing at the rim. Again, I think that's just like a frame yeah. issue. I think that's going to sort itself out. His touch isn't bad at all. Um, but he's 50.1, uh, 51.4% at the rim in the half court. Uh, there's still a lot to like though. Like we mentioned, like the touch is good. Yeah. He can get up, like he can get up to dunk. And when he does attack a closeout to the rim, his strides are really long. He had that nice little shake move on Jairus, uh, mm-hmm. where he got to the rim too. Like I, where I get really optimistic with him is I, feel like his passing flashes and this is going to be kind of a weird thing to say but bear with me his passing flashes i feel like are at a level that benedict matherin's passing flashes were at last year mm. where it's like i don't think you're like a playmaker playmaker but i think that you know what's going on enough and like you you process the game quickly enough that like you're going to be able to go on an nba floor and like know what's going on and be able to make snappy decisions like there are moments of him making really quick 
solid, good 0.5 reads and passes. And yeah. like you add that to like the size and the shooting and the defense. It's like, this is a guy that every team could use. Like when, when, when it's all said and done, he's going to be a guy that's valuable to 30 NBA teams. Yeah. And the thing that I loved about like getting the chance to just like talk to him for just a couple quick minutes at, at you know, at his game against CCU was that one, he's like a very humble, respectful dude. Like that always travels mm-hmm. well with a lot of people. And then two, he's very self-aware. You know, I, I had a chance to ask him about, you know, what he feels like he needs to work on the most as he's shown a lack of a lot of in-season improvements. And he was he was very straightforward. He, he didn't say like, oh, well, I think my handle could use some tweaking, but there's just some stuff that y'all haven't seen yet. It was just very much like, hey, look, I recognize that my handle's not where I need it to be. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've been trying to make improvements on during the year, but it's I know that that's going to be in my next big uh, main offseason focus, right, is like is improvements in the handle. And if he can start handling the ball with everything else that he does, man, like even where we have him might end up being too low when it's all said and done. So yeah. I, I'm excited to see what he, what he does in the NBA, though, at some point. For sure. For sure. So let's throw it uh, to you for the last faller. So who's your last uh, last faller on your board? I'll keep it short because this faller is uh, not the tallest in stature, but uh, mm-hmm. Tyrese Hunter, another Texas Longhorn, who recently just said that he is going to be testing, testing the waters, in, testing the waters, and look, I was really hopeful for him coming in from Iowa State to Texas. Uh, I, at one point during last season's draft cycle, I had him at thirty. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of things to love about him. He's a very good point of attack defender. Um, very quick, very athletic, and he making the the move to Texas with a little bit more talent, uh, perceived talent. I mean, actually, so again, Texas is very, very good. It's just that the guys that we were expecting to be really, really good haven't lived up to that potential yet. Mm-hmm. And just seeing it become, you know, Carr's team throughout the year instead of it being Tyrese Hunter's, I think has been a real indictment against him. Um, hasn't really improved. He is making three pointers now, I think a little bit better, but it's nothing that I'm like super wild about. And at his size, like there's guys like Mike Miles that I'm trusting <laughs> yeah. more, uh, Marcus Sasser that I'm trusting more. So his size is just really big on on me right now. I had him at 37 at the beginning of the year, um, trending upward to being a first round guy. He's at 91 for me now, man. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just. I I hope he he gets like real feedback that he can actually improve upon and come back to Texas or maybe somewhere else and demonstrate it. But yeah, he's a uh, I had higher hopes for him than what he's shown this year. Yeah, you he was he was outside my top one hundred. Like I'm just not I'm not interested in a guy who is six feet tall and shoots below forty percent from the field. Like just straight up. Like yeah. I I do think the shot's a lot better. I think he deserves a lot of credit for it because there was like a volume uptick and he wasn't shy about like taking threes in the past. He's not a guy who's like afraid no. to shoot. Um, dotted up to 33.7%. But like if you're undersized, like I, I really need to be, I really need to be there with the shot. And that's like the one reason I'm still like, and I'm a big Mike Miles guy, like compared to like ESPN doesn't have him top 60 and like I do. Um, so I think, I think compared to the consensus, like I like him a lot and I'm just like, Oh man, like I wish you were like 40% from three. If you're going to be mm-hmm. that size, like it, you just really have to be able to pull and, and he can't do that. Um, defensively again, like really, really good. Um, trust him a lot on that side of the ball. 
Um, I thought I thought that there were like moments with the passing this year. Um, just wasn't a big uptick from what just, you wanted to see. Yeah, last year. yeah, like, um, yeah, it seemed like slightly more consistent when going downhill, but like there's still just some turnovers where it's like, ah, oh, that was a real force, like really mm-hmm. forced. It <laughs> so and like, yeah, the, the turnover percentage in relation to the assist percentage got worse, and like. I don't know. Texas is a weird team. Not like he's surrounded by a million like three point shooters or anything. So it's not like he's really in position to do that. It's like you can pass it to Timmy Allen and he'll dribble six times and like knock down a mid range shot. It doesn't make sense how Texas is as good as they are because when you talk about like each one of their players are like, "Eh." it's like this guy's like pretty severely flawed. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh, like Roddy Terry deserves every penny of that contract. Like good for that man. Like he's, he's awesome. So yeah, I just couldn't couldn't get all the way there with him at any point. He's always been somebody I've kind of sagged on a little bit. I'm just not seeing it yet. Yeah, it's um tough year for him, man. But mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, you know, another another year of improvement does yeah. him a little bit better. So. When I was wondering with like testing too, if guys like they're obviously gonna get good advice too, but you also wonder too, like, is that just gonna like change something in them is that really going to motivate them is that going to give them some sort of new insight or advice that really helps them a lot like you never know you never know so yeah and he did improve the three-point shot so you know i do want to again i hope that they're just like up front with him and and be like hey man like you really got to be like a 42 43 three-point shooter for us to really Mm -hmm. consider you or you know you're, you might just be spinning your tires, like maybe just fully invest on going to a school that you want to stay at for a few years and like really go down as like one of their best point guards of all time or something like yeah, that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so for my next one, this was a guy that wasn't like super, super like mainstream all over boards. Um, but he was a guy that I was like pretty firm on like, oh, I think this guy's going to pop this year. Um I know we had a lot of fans on Twitter and I know that like, I, I think draft Digest put out a thing with like having him as like a second rounder um, before the start of the season. And that was Jaden Nunn at VCU. Mm. Um, in the end, he had like slight uptick statistically just about everywhere. Um, he was a little hampered by a slow start. So yeah, he ended last season really hot. Like if you look at his like last month of the season last year, was really strong so i was like okay he's just gonna carry that over and like we're gonna be off to the races and through the start of the new year he was averaging like eight points and just like not really scoring that well and nc around 10 a game um but just not like i really thought jaden nunn was gonna break out so jaden nunn if you're not familiar combo guard at vcu uh really good off the dribble scorer had some flashes as a passer, but really a tenacious defender, like a guy who does, like he will guard the entire 94 feet. He gets after it on defense. And I really thought that given what he could do off the dribble as a score, given the leaps he made the back half of the season as a passer that like, all right, here we go. Like 2022 to 2023, like it's going to be his year. And he just kind of looked like the same guy. Uh, yeah. Part of it could be role. And I'm really intrigued because so VCU is going to have a coaching change. Their coach was hired um, uh, by another program. I can't remember what the hell. Was he Rhode Island or Providence? Is he the, where did he end? Was he in Rhode Island? I, I have no Mike data. Rhodes went some Mike Rhodes ain't at VCU <laughs> anymore. That's all that matters. So he's not a VCU anymore. Uh, so a lot of their guys have gone into the portal and Ace Baldwin like really had a phenomenal season for that. Yeah. So like a lot of the on ball stuff was just like going through Ace, and it's one of those things where it's like 
they're not wrong. Like they're not wrong for playing through Ace Baldwin, who, despite you know being a shorter player who's not really going to be getting a lot of NBA attention, is a guy that like is going to win you a lot of college best games. Penn State is who hired Mike Rose because Drew Spear went to. Yep, that's right. Yep, yep. So. Uh, I don't know why I thought like Rhode Island. Like, why would you, you wouldn't leave VC? Would you leave VC for Rhode Island? I don't think so. It seems pretty, I, I, pretty I down so. almost. But yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, he just didn't didn't pop. I'm really optimistic though. Like, I'm still not out on Jaden Nunn because it's six four. He has like good size for a guard. There are very few guys that are going to play defense the way that he does, and he still is like a really good off the dribble scorer. He ended the year over forty percent from three. He was forty four point one percent on pull up threes this year. Um, and just the fact that he can shoot off the catch too. Like, I think there's a real complimentary role for him. He's just got to figure out the playmaking. Like the fact that there wasn't enough, like that he didn't sustain the assist to turnover stuff that he finished the first year with, I think was a big letdown going from 1.8 assist to 1.5, where it's just like, man, really need to see like guards that have an assist rate below 14, just like uh-huh. don't play in the NBA yeah. period. So like, I hope he goes somewhere where like they let him play actual point guard because yeah. of his size. It's tricky. I think a lot of college coaches are going to be like, well, I can play with the two and get another point guard out here. So it's, it's tough for him. We're at the three at six foot four. <laughs> college basketball it's for real. Like, uh, <laughs> so that's like the one thing that concerns me is just like him finding the right fit, but I really hope he finds it in the portal. Cause I think there's a lot there still. Yeah. And there's a number of just teams that are losing like their senior point guard, like Memphis, yeah. you know, losing, mm-hmm. uh, I think Kendrick Davis. Davis. Yep. I think yep. that he's. I think that was his last year, if I I'm not so mistaken. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there there are going to be opportunities for him to be able to go and and pick up some playing uh, some playing time somewhere at the one. And you know, he was one of those guys, Maxwell, that I, you put the entire crew on. And you know, I had him within my top 100 because I did like the film. When you mentioned him, I went back and looked, and uh, he's a pretty good bowler too, right? Like am I you know, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, that's the so. He was an accomplished amateur bowler. He <laughs> talked about how the yeah, it's just about consistency and doing the work. So that's that he learned that from bowling. There you go. But yeah, I, I think the defense was like really enticing. And like you said, man, it's just it's really hard for a guard like what we were just talking about with Tyrese Hunter when you are not the lead guard and you don't mm-hmm. get like the benefit of some other universities like Kentucky, where it's like okay, maybe he's got more to his game. Like, you really have to be on, especially at a program like VCU, which you know it's they're going to bring it defensively. They're not yeah. running, like, a lot of complicated offensive sets or anything like that. They're just, like, a, a, a meat grinder on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, none. He he kind of fell outside of my, my uh, top 150. Um, really mm-hmm. intrigued to see what he does um, when he comes back. Yeah, just a, a, it's really hard for guards at a certain size to to really have make a name for themselves in, in the draft community. Yeah, so something that this is like a conversation I had a year ago with an agent, and I think it's like really true for just like every level of basketball in general. Is there's a lot of dudes six four and under that can play basketball. Yep, and it's like that just makes it really hard because like he was explaining mm-hmm. to me like his philosophy and like when I'm looking for guys to to represent. I try to get guys that skew bigger because in Europe, like they've got a ton of guys over there that are six, four, two, but they don't have guys that are, are big and tall and can run and jump and whatever. And like that, it gets just very true. Like there are so many just obscenely talented guards that I watched all year that like were seniors that now, like you look at the Portsmouth list and it's like, Oh man, that guy's good. That guy's good. And like, 
a lot of yeah. talented guards just not getting the Portsmouth invite. And like, that's the reality of it. Like there's just so many dudes six, four and under they can play that. Like if you're not in a position to really shine, it's, it's very hard to stand out. Yeah. Um, and that's Portsmouth, you know, that's not the, that's not the, the that's big not even the draft. Yeah. That's yeah. not even, yeah. That's not the big combine. That's not elite camp. That's Portsmouth. <laughs> that's just Portsmouth. And it's really yeah. high bar for guards just to get there. So um, we'll do my last riser and then we'll do yours. Cause I think your riser is like, the greatest riser this season uh yeah. so um mine was jet howard so jet was a guy that i immediately just like rocket shipped rocket shipped uh sure yeah rocketed uh, rocketed <laughs> yeah uh, up go. my board so jet was a guy that i had like like i think he was like at 60 on my preseason board i just had some real reservations about him from a frame standpoint he was very skinny i did not like how he finished at the rim um I thought that he did an okay job of like getting certain places on the court in the high school film. But I also thought that like his passing just was not consistent enough. So it's like, okay, well he can put it on the floor pretty well for a guy who has his size, but he's not really finding the open man. He's not going to be able to finish inside. So we're just looking at a jump shooter. And like, it was kind of like the same thing with is Grady Dick, right? Where it's like, he's not super strong. He's not super athletic. Like it's going to take some time, but then out of the gate, it was immediately clear that like he is just a super high level shooter. Um, I think he did. This is like tough to say because he was never like good at it. I think he guarded the ball better at the beginning of the year than he did <laughs> down the stretch. Yeah. Um, and he really showed a lot as a playmaker early in the season. So we were looking at a guy who through like the first two months of the year was like 40% on three, 60% on twos. And we now know that he had two ankle injuries. So an injury yeah. to each ankle down the stretch, which kind of adds context to the fact of like why all of a sudden was he like, he already wasn't getting to the rim a lot, but then he was like really not getting to the rim and really struggling to finish and really struggling to like create advantages and make plays for others. And uh, we just had a lot more games where like nothing went right. Um, and now, you know, maybe you wonder if it's, if it's just the the context of him having two injuries, but at the end of the day, no matter what, the reason I moved Jet up so quick is that I think his feel is really good. I think he knows how to see the floor. I think he knows how to pass the ball. I think he knows how to play a ball screen with the ball in his hands. And I think he knows how to shoot. And if you can do those things and you're six foot seven with like a six, nine ish wingspan, you're going to play like you're going to yeah. play in the NBA. And I think, I think the off ball defense was really bad too. Like I worry about that as much as I worry about him guarding the ball. Cause like, yes, yeah, feet are slow and whatever, but I actually thought in high school, like again, Lake Grossberg guy, I wonder if it's maybe just going to take him a little bit of time, but um, his feet were a little clunky on the ball, but like off ball, just straight up completely inattentive at times. And like that really has to really, really, really has to change um, that pair with the fact that he has slow feet. Like he's just never going to dart passing lanes as it stands. So there's some serious work to do as far as his off ball defense, but I just think on offense, he's shown a level of field. It's, it's really tremendous. And when you have that kind of feel and can shoot like he can and can, um, you know, put it on the floor a little bit and pass, he's always going to need a ball screen. He's never going to like cook guys on an Island, but I buy a shot making. I buy what he can do as a movement shooter. Yeah. I think he's going to find a way to play in the league for a really long time. Yeah. I think too, man, like I had him as a late first coming into the year, but it's really, I always kind of find it weird that the injury stuff comes out later in the year as opposed yeah. to when it happens because I have a hard time. I'm not saying that they're lying, but it does like kind of come across as like awful convenient if you release it 
after the bad stuff comes, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I know what you. I mean? So yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not like, I'm not saying anything, but mm. it's just really weird because like that context would have been good to know coming into the film that we were watching and the mm-hmm. games that we were watching because when I'm like, oh, okay, like that makes a lot of sense, right? But um, the three-point shooting, the ball handling, like you mentioned, like at his size, those are always in demand. You know, despite the defense, like he's already really young. Um, he's got the NBA um, bloodline, things like that. A lot of really good things. The defense has hung me up, but yeah, I have yeah. I have Jet in the lottery now, and mm-hmm. I do think that the later season performances did play a big part of that. Um, because I had him in the top ten at one point, but now he was top ten for me for a long time. Yeah, but now I kind of have him in the back half of the lottery because mm-hmm. I do think that there are some significant deficiencies in his game offensively still, and then the defense is just a little bit of ways away for me. Yeah, and like we talked about, like the the lack of like rim pressure finishing in this class, and like Jet takes like less yeah. than ten percent of his shots at the rim in the half court. Like he just doesn't. He's so much more likely to just like want to settle, and you've got to be really good if you're gonna end up taking a lot of shots in the mid range and a lot of floaters instead of getting to the basket. Like you've got to be really, really good if that's how you're gonna play. So yeah, he was he was uh, my last riser, and I, I'm still really optimistic. Like I said, like I think this guy who's going to play in the league for a long time, regardless yeah. of where he shakes out. Um, but let's do your last riser. Cause I think this is like the biggest, like blindsiding riser of anybody in, in college basketball this year. Yeah. I'm just, I I'm glad that I had him at some degree on some point on my radar, like coming into the year, I had him at 103 and okay. it was just kind of like, okay, young dude kind of had some things going for him when he went to Illinois, didn't play at Illinois, transferred over to Santa Clara bigger opportunity for a role. And it didn't take long before like a couple weeks into the season where you start seeing the name. Um, it, when I'm reading it, it looks like Brent who's branded Podzi Miski. You know what I mean? Like at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season and then you watch the season play out, you start learning who this guy is. And I had a chance to interview him and it's Brandon Pajemski coming mm-hmm. in from Illinois and just talking with him, his work ethic and his mentality really sold me. Um, to buy into the production that we've seen. And now I have him 37 and I feel like I kind of have him a little too low, but again, it speaks to the the production of this class as a whole. I think this class is deeper than what it's getting credit for. Um, you look at the three point shooting, the ball handling, the passing, the rebounding rate is insane. And Maxwell, we talk about it all the time. NBA players historically have had good rebounding rates. So mm-hmm. defense has a little bit of concerns, just like the aforementioned jet Howard, but Uh, Brandon has just showed so much through his leadership style, through the fact that Santa Clara had a lot of upperclassmen. They didn't have a lot of RSEI top 100 recruits. Brandon in his class was. So he was kind of the crown jewel. And for him to follow up for the program, Jalen Williams, and Mm -hmm. be able to continue to bring some respect to the Santa Clara um, lineage of basketball player. It's just been a fun development to see throughout the season. His family is like super supportive of him. So it's always fun mm-hmm. to see whenever you see the family as a whole being lifted up through the play of one uh, basketball player. But yeah, Brandon has uh, been a meteoric riser throughout the course of the season. And it's just been a ton of fun to see. Yeah, he's been he's been really tremendous. Um, he rebounds like a much larger player. And I know that there's like fair skepticism about whether or not that's going to scale up um, just because of the athleticism. But 
at the end of the day, it's like a testament to just his timing, his tenaciousness, his ability to uh, play with a high level of awareness on the court, be willing to scrap, be willing to get into position. Um, his hands are really good on the yeah. ball. And I understand like, I understand the concerns about the size. Like a lot of people wonder if he's as tall as he is. I've heard that from a lot of people who've seen him up close. Um, yeah. I get it. Like I get the hangups. Um, he got basically complete freedom. He played with the ball in his hands a lot. He played with the ball in his hands for as long as he wanted. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a much different role for him moving to the next level. Um, but with that said, like he did an okay job of finishing at the rim. Mm-hmm. He was an outstanding catch and shoot player. He can shoot threes off the dribble. He actually ranked in the 90th percentile in transition, which I didn't expect given like the knocks on him is an athlete. Yeah. Um, can really shoot off of movement, can really score and like passes pretty, really, good really, too. yeah, really good pass. It really grew in terms of his ability to see the floor as the season went along. Like I understand the limitations and the ideas of like, well, how's he going to play in a playoff series and like this and that. And it's like, I, a lot of these guys just straight up aren't going to play in the NBA. <laughs> like a lot of yeah. these guys just straight up are like not going to be able to play in a regular season game and carve out a rotation spot. So like maybe at a certain point we're putting the cart ahead of the horse as far as like writing him off because we're too concerned about like him being in a playoff series. And it's like, we need guys to play in the regular season too. And like, yeah. I, it's not the sexiest pitch in the world. I realize that, but like, he's around like, he's like in the late thirties for me. Um, yeah. I got him 37. Yeah. yeah like I, I just think maybe there's a chance that, stuff comes around or maybe like he does get better at something. I don't know. Like it's, it feels like a lot of the, the Pajemski naysayers are just like, it can't have, I don't know. There's a weird level of like writing him off. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I think a lot of people are like a little bit too excited about um, his upside and projections, but um, yeah, I, th- I just think he's, he's solid. I think he's going to get a chance. I think he's more than earned it. I think he's been phenomenal this year. And uh, I, it's an interesting choice, right? Cause I think he's kind of got to go in. Um, because if he goes back, like he really has nothing left to prove at the college level. I don't think like transferring to a bigger program does anything for him. So yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. It's a tough decision. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for him. And it was one of the greatest stories in college basketball to see a kid who went to Illinois, was given no opportunities, goes to Santa Clara and just blows it out of the water. Um, yeah. unbelievably efficient just does an incredible job like this this is the kind of stuff that makes like following the draft and following college basketball in general so much fun it's just like these players that can come out of nowhere and and become stars overnight and he's he is technically a returner and i've said this in his defense a lot but this was his freshman year dude like it really was yeah he didn't play like much at all in illinois and in his first real shot to do anything as a sophomore he is like leading a division one team and mm-hmm. in terms of just like all, all things offense and again, incredible rebounder, not the strongest defender, but I don't think that he was like an absolute zero. And he's not lost. Either. He knows what he's doing. Exactly. The tools and are he, like concerning, but like he, he knows how to play and the steel and block rates add up. Like they're a testament to it, but like, yeah, you just like watch his hands. You watch his positioning. Yeah, he's just a high field dude who just like knows how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. And um I think multi-positional offensively good, just as good off the ball as he is on the ball. And I think that that works well in his favor for his future prospects, whether it's this year or maybe a future year or two. But, you know, maybe mm-hmm. test the waters and see what NBA teams say about you and, and go mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. 
So on that note, that that wraps up our uh, our list of uh, returners and fallers, and I've got tornado sirens going off here. <laughs> so, oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah. Between between my daughter coming in the room going crazy, tornado sirens. It's <laughs> it's been an evening over here. So I've had uh, similar yeah. situations. Uh, my wife popped in, and uh, okay, I guess the kids have had some stuff go on. So maybe it's a good time <laughs> to call it, Max. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, Stephen, where can people find you on social media, and what if you got coming out this week? Yeah, so at Stephen G Hoops on Twitter, um, I got a piece by the time everyone's listening to this, it will have dropped. It's airing on the side of Jordan, which mm-hmm. I'll talk about Jordan Miller for the Miami Hurricanes. You may have watched him play basketball recently mm-hmm. and uh, just very excited to talk about a guy who is kind of having these late season pushes due to his prominence in the public eye. And mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be talking about um, March Madness and what that kind of does to our minds throughout the year. I have a fun little prelude with that and then of course i'm going to have an update to my top 100 which is going to be um always ever changing with players declaring returning transferring all that fun stuff but yeah no ceilings nba.com for all of our articles awesome yep um my piece coming this week uh kind of two things i've got a podcast with uh was able to squeeze in a quick interview with ben shepherd uh from belmont i wrote a piece on him as well that's gonna be coming out tuesday um super accommodating like was like busy schedule like a lot of these guys got a ton going on but we were able to mm-hmm. just squeeze in a quick interview really good stuff big fan of him as a player but like also as a person which is a big thing i get into in the article um yeah so keep an eye out for that both of those should be coming out around tuesday interview might drop a little bit early so people can, can, get, can get a taste for it uh it's sort of a preview to that piece but uh ben shepard at belmont just a guy who's like firm top 60 for me uh after my latest film dive and and after uh talking to him again so uh, I'm not counting it out. For, I'm not counting it out for me. And just one mm-hmm. more quick thing tomorrow. Yep. I'm going to be hosting home and away because a lot of the crew is going to be heading over to um, the pack Northwest for the. Hoop yeah. Summit. Yeah. So, uh, I got a fun episode with a guy who you and I both have done podcasting work with before. We're going to be talking about prospects and a WrestleMania recap. So you're not going to want to miss that. Very exciting. Very excited Heck for yeah. that one. Uh, so stay tuned for home and away as well. Uh, and yeah, make sure you're subscribed to no ceilings, NBA.com. Get all of our written work there. Uh, it's draft season. We're here every single day. Um, churning out a lot of quality stuff and we're going to start, uh, you know, hitting a lot of the big names again soon too. Uh, so definitely, definitely be plugged in over there. Be plugged in the podcast feed, uh, for podcasts every day as well. So until next time, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Nathan will be back in the mix soon. Uh, so make sure you follow him on Twitter as well at draft deeper. I am on Twitter at bound boards and Steven is at Steven G hoops. So give us all a follow and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Much love y'all.